0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. ...give her royal estate unto another that is better than she, verse 21...
1: And the same pleased the king and
0: the princes, and the king did according to the word of Memucan. Verse number 1 of chapter 2. After these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus was appeased, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what was decreed against her. This really kind of went on a different turn than what I was expecting to concentrate, but I just follow the way the Lord directs, all right? I want to talk tonight about a sigh of, re- of regret. Usually we'd say a sigh of relief, but I'm going to talk about a sigh of regret, of regret. Let us talk to the Lord. Jesus, we need you tonight. God, we appreciate your spirit. God, having the ability to come in here, Lord, on a Wednesday god to center our lives once again around your word these are the words of life help us god to accept them lord jesus to apply them lord as such in our own lives and we fail not to thank you god for what you accomplish in the name of jesus christ that we pray amen you may be seated in jesus name much of what we spoke of last week was The events that took place that created a vacancy in the Persian kingdom, the Persian empire that makes way for the fulfillment of Esther uh, coming into that kingdom and finding her place as as queen. The unalterable decree, and that's important as it's stated more than one time concerning the law of the Medes and the Persians, an unalterable decree Although historically, they say that the Medes and Persians laws were not necessarily unalterable. So I really don't know what the whole scenario is there. But nonetheless, the unalterable decree went forth. And it was basically to state this. It was to not allow Vashti access to the king's presence. Since she did not come, fine, have it your way. I guess this is Burger King. I'm so sorry. Sister Dixie, fine, have it your way. It caught is already out my mouth and then I thought about you being here your mind works in like many seconds and it just all just went but nonetheless I apologize there's nothing intended in any of this amen but it was basically then if you're not going to come before the king then so be it maybe that's better so be it then you don't have to worry about coming before him anymore because this is going to be part of the decree. Not only that, there's going to be a rule or a law or a decree that's going to state then that they will find somebody better than she, better than Vashti. Vashti. Uh, Better, though, in the minds of these men that are uh, coming up with this and presenting to the king, all of the, the nobles of the king that's presenting this to the king, better in the minds of them and the men meant that the next queen would be more compliant because in everybody's estimation, Queen Vashti wasn't, she did not come when she was literally commanded to come. She did not come. And so the one that would be better than she would be one that would be more compliant than she, one that would be more, quote-unquote, obedient than she. And so we will see this, this character contrast, though, very soon, very soon between Vashti and Esther as it seems that Esther seems to please everybody that she meets. You find this in chapter 2. You'll find this even going forward, that it seems like she pleases everyone that she meets. And with good reason, though, we understood in chapter number 1 that Vashti did not come before the king uh, when she was commanded because she was safeguarding her own dignity. No one else seemed to be looking out for that. She was safeguarding her own scruples since... We might say plainly her husband didn't. We talked about that a little bit last week. Her husband didn't. However, Esther is taken, and she is prepared here in chapter number 2 for audience with the king. And there's no record of her refusal, just because some is re- isn't record doesn't mean it didn't happen but I'm just telling you there is no record of her refusal of being in the scripture states it as that that she was taken uh and we'll get to it in a little bit and not this week next week but that there were officers sent to all these 127 provinces of the kingdom and they were to find young beautiful virgins that they could bring back for uh, king Ahasuerus and as they went out and got them it's basically that they went out and got them they took them uh, it's not as though they had applications for them to fill out. It's no, if this fit their description and fit their uh, characterization of who the king might like, uh, they were taken. Uh, <laughs> I mean, nothing short of almost it would seem like a kidnap. Whether they were willing to go, or whether they were unwilling to go, uh, they were taken. And so, again, nothing is recorded about Esther and refusing any of this. But explicitly we are told that Esther neither... Uh, Shew to her people, or nor her kindred. She she didn't show her identity. She didn't make it known that she was a Jew. She didn't make it known that she was a Jewish person. So, although she doesn't refuse what happened, she also didn't let them know who she really was, as far as whenever it comes to her identity, because to do so would have been to identify with a different set of values than, of course, the kingdom of Persia, the king of Persia, and all those who who professed to be Persia and its kingdom. It would to be different than they were, all right? And so nonetheless, most scholars agree that between chapter number 1 and chapter number 2, is a time frame, and you will see this here in a little bit as we get further in the story. There are some years that have expired. Many believe between chapter 1 and chapter 2 is that time frame that Ahasuerus went and attempted war against Greece. We talked about this probably two times ago that his father had wanted to conquer Greece, but he died, and uh, King Ahasuerus really wanted to honor his father's name, and so he was going to attempt to war against Greece. They believe that between chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Esther, after he got rid of Vashti, that that's whenever he made this grand attempt. And again, remember chapter number 1, he had all these grand banquets, Some of the reasons why he was having these grand banquets was because he was already strategizing and making war plans against Greece and he wanted to get a lot of people that was on his side. He wanted to showcase his ability to compensate anybody because he was showing all of his grandeur, all of his money. I mean, a feast that lasted for days and days. He's showing people that would join him that he would be able to compensate them uh, for their efforts of coming alongside him. And so, again, this war would be another way that he could honor his deceased father's name. And so he's endeavoring to do all this. So there's a lot that hinged on this battle very personally for him, right? Uh, he's showing his clout. He's showing he can come through and, and compensate the military that are involved in this. He's going to show honor to his father. So personally, he has a lot hinged upon this. But history records that Hazarus going out, going to go conquer Greece, was rather conquered himself. So you can almost imagine what's going through this man's mind, right? That has some personal things at stake, going to do honor to his father. And that didn't happen. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. You know, going to, going to show all this great exploit for his kingdom. That didn't happen. And so as he's doing all this, there's another reversal, right? We've, I told you the team really of Esther could be reversal. He calls for Vashti, she doesn't come, reversal. He goes out expecting to win the battle against the Greeks Do honor to his father, it doesn't happen, reversal. And so now, here's this Persian king that did not win whenever he attempted to do so, and the Bible tells us in the first verse of chapter number 2, after these things, after his failed efforts... After coming back with his tail tucked between his leg from Greece and not being able to honor his father, here is the scenario. When all these things happen, he begins to remember Vashti. Because what do most men need when they feel they failed at their purpose? What do they look for when they're dealing with disappointment? Many men find comfort in an encouraging wife's voice, touch, presence but he don't have that now he disposed of her in a moment of anger he don't have that and so the Bible says in verse number 1 of chapter 2 it says he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what was decreed against her I dare to say tonight that there is a touch of regret that's here in the remembering of of king ahasuerus it's isn't it amazing how ahasuerus can look back at this episode that happened and occurred with vashti and he was enraged when he made that choice and that decision and drunk by the way (laughs) but all these things he can look back now at it with some time that's elapsed and separated and he can feel differently about it now than what he did in the moment again for one He's calmed down, right? He's calmed down. For number two, he isn't necessarily in a state of rage or drunkenness. Uh, The the, the complete Jewish Bible says it like this. His anger had subsided, which is majorly important, right? Because when's the last time you did something stupid when you was angry? Or when's the last time you've reflected back on a moment when you were angry and said, that was stupid? scientifically let's do that okay scientifically when we're experiencing and expressing anger we're not using the thinking portion of our brain the cerebral cortex of your brain is the thinking portion of your brain when you are angry your brain does not default to the thinking portion of your brain the cerebral cortex is where you think logically it's where you make judgments that's not used when you're angry. Primarily when we're angry, we use what's called the limbic center of our brains, which is the emotional center. So an angry brain, listen to me, is an emotionally driven brain. An angry brain is not a logical judgment brain. So here's both he and his other advisors. The Bible says that they were pleased with Memucan's suggested decree of getting rid of Vashti and finding one that is better than she. They all agreed about this. Amen? And because Ahasuerus, what? In the moment, he feels humiliated by Vashti not coming. When I said, woman, come. Oh, God. Huh? Therefore, what does he want to do? What people want to do whenever they feel hurt. They want to return hurt. Mm-hmm. Want to re hurt, return hurt. So I'm going to ban you. You don't come to my presence. Don't worry about ever coming back, honey. I'm going to ban you from my presence. He's angry. Proverbs 14, verse 17. He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. You're not thinking logically. You're not thinking with a, a thinking part of your brain, the emotional part of the brain. And a man of wicked devices is hated. Anger, listen, and I don't know why, I just felt like digging into this just a little bit here tonight. Anger does not occur in isolation. What that means is this. It's typically preceded by feelings of pain. That can be physical pain or that can be emotional pain. Anger has been termed the second-hand emotion or a social emotion because you can be angry sometimes. Has anybody ever just been sick and been sick for so long that you begin to snap at people? You do that because... You're experiencing pain in some degree. Your body is just not operating the way that it should be operating. It hasn't been for weeks, Sister Angie. You know what I'm saying? And so you're dealing with your pain, you're becoming angry. Or if you ever felt rejected and then felt angry or felt threatened, right? I remember as a little boy, that happened a lot when we were kids, right? Another little boy threatened you, and boy, the, the mercury just rises up in the head. Huh? or even experiencing a loss a loved one a job anything can't find something that you know you have we say we got frustrated but we're really getting angry huh (laughs) All of these all these things it's 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 second-handed emotion these feelings these triggers because what happens sometimes even whenever you feel threatened then you start doing personal evaluation yourself you're wondering do they have a reason to threaten me? Do I look weak? Listen, you start going through these different things. You start giving personal assessments and assumptions. All right. You begin to evaluate and interpret people, although that might not be what they meant. If you ever got angry over something that you found out later, wasn't what you thought. <laughs> all these things happen. Because what happens in those moments is we begin to interpret and evaluate and assume. When we begin to do all that, we start to believe that someone is hurting us, whether it be emotionally or physically. Sometimes it can be yourself hurting yourself. You ever been angry at yourself? Anger is a substitution emotion. What do you mean a substitution emotion? because most I'll say most people would rather feel angry than to feel the pain they're dealing with whether it's literal or again emotional because feeling angry brings feelings what whenever you're angry you're not feeling so bad are you you are feeling you take a tiger by the tail there's a little bit of righteousness a little bit of power a little bit of superiority Oh God Let's be honest, a little superiority with all this moment. And so it's a substitution emotion because I don't want to deal with the pain I'm feeling, so I'll be angry so I don't have to deal with that. I'll put that off. In many regards, becoming angry is a distraction from the pain. They hurt my feelings, I'm going to get mad because I don't have to deal then with the emotional side baggage of being hurt if I get mad. It gives me a different feeling. I feel in control. Hazarus interpreted Vashti's refusal, no doubt, as disrespect to him. He becomes angry. Why? He didn't want to deal with the pain of his humiliation in front of all these other people. Everybody doing all right? It's okay to analyze scripture like this. They not want to deal with the pain of all this other stuff that was coming about. And so what, what could Ahasuerus, and this is just a what if. I'm just trying to be a man here, okay? What could Ahasuerus be assuming whenever she didn't come if he would start to evaluate his role as king? Could he start questioning his influence? Could he start questioning whether he was mighty enough to go to warfare against Greece? But rather, Sister Sheila, than process all of that, he burns with anger because it's easier for him to be angry with her than to feel vulnerable with the feelings that are within himself. Everybody doing okay? I didn't mean to do a group counseling session tonight. When people become angry quicker, A lot of times it's because they've kept dealing with their feelings through anger and there's compounded feelings. So it don't take them as quick because they have a lot of pain that's never been dealt with. I'm just pausing here. Proverbs 14, 29. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. But he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. When's the last time that becoming angry helped the situation? I think I'll throw gas on this. <laughs> Whenever the king decided to support the decree... The Bible says in verse 12 of chapter 1, he was very wroth and his anger burned in him. Therefore, again, his decision that he's going to make, although he's getting some information from guys, he's agreeing with what they're saying, his decision was an emotionally driven decision, not a logical, not a logically driven decision. And so he didn't use good judgment when he made his decision. So now, after everything's calmed down and he's sobered up, and he's come back from war with his tail between his legs and he wish he had mama to lay his head on to get some comfort. He remembers Vashti and he begins to reflect upon her. Someone say amen. Let's go, let's go another direction here for a moment. Because and although this is of his own making, I just feel like the counselor up here tonight. Though this is of his own making. When children grieve, we've read the book. Whenever a person is experiencing grief from loss of any type, which can mean loss that you helped create, which would be a Hazrus' episode. Whenever you experience grief from loss, it causes our brains to review a relationship and discover everything it thinks could have ended differently, better, or more. Here's a man... Doesn't have mama to go home to now. He's, he's dealing with the grief of his loss, and he's looking at everything. What more could have I have done? What could have I done differently? What could have been done better that we wouldn't have reached? I believe the king's having some second thoughts here about what was done to Vashti he he's emotionally now in chapter number two he's emotionally in a better place all right emotionally better suited to reason out all the circumstances of what already happened he's a more pleasant ahasuerus to reflect on Vashti's positive features and her positive traits but here's the fact of the matter nothing can be done because it's done again When's the last time you looked back on something you said or done in a moment of anger and thought, boy, that was stupid? Well, it was. Because logic and judgment were off the table in that moment. Let me just say this. This is kind of heavy tonight, isn't it? I feel just like, ooh. Don't live life with regrets. Don't be quick to get angry. Anger happens, yes. Be angry and sin. No, we have scripture. All this stuff. Yes, 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 yes. But what I'm saying is don't, don't, don't let that be the go to because of other things that are being undealt with. Amen? Now, let's see what happens in Esther 2 and verse 2. Because it goes on here. Because these other servants that he has around him kind of see him in this contemplative state. And they're going to offer a diversion to get him out of it. Look at this. Esther 2 and verse number 2. Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, Let there be a fair young virgin sought for the king. Because why? The king's remembering Vashti and he's being a little regretful. Let, let there be fair young virgins sought for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather together all the fair young virgins unto Shushan the palace, to the house of the women, unto the custody of Hege, the king's chamberlain, keeper of the women, and let their things for purification be given them, and let the maiden which pleaseth the pleaseth the king excuse me, be queen instead of Vashti, and the thing pleased the king, and he did so. So, again, the servants have picked up on this reflective, contemplative king over there, staring at where Vashti used to live. You know what I'm saying? Um, Maybe with a little mist on his eyes. Is he going to cry? You know, he's there being very contemplative. And so they think we got to shift him out of this mode. Right? we got to get him out of this. So we got to distract him with something else. we got to move the king forward in finding his replacement. Right? And they had an idea how they might be able to accomplish this. Let me say this. This is important. The king contemplating what had happened wasn't unreasonable. It was okay. There was nothing wrong with what the king was doing. Although it could not be reversed, listen to me. Perhaps he could contemplate and look over his shoulder and find something that he could learn from and incorporate in his life going forward. Listen to me. Here, because this is what we're fighting against, not just in the world, but in the church world today. And that is this, that it's no longer proper for anybody to analyze their mistakes. No, 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 no. Because all I hear all the time, in the world and in the church world, constantly, Oh, it's okay. Just go on. Listen, I believe, yes, there's forgiveness and we go on. But there's nothing wrong for us pausing. Let me say it like this. We need to pause and consider the mistake that has been made. But we're pushing everybody through that step. And no one's thinking about what they have done. You know what happens? They do it again. Because they never learn anything. Because they never stop and pause. Because everybody's trying to usher them from what? The feelings of guilt and shame that accompany with having made a mistake. We want to push that totally off their life. Listen. God created you to experience guilt and shame from stuff like that so there will be a recourse. But as a church or society, if we're going to push everybody through that and as quick as possible alleviate their guilt and shame, guess what? Repeated offenders. Oh, Jesus. Amen. There's nothing wrong with analyzing our mistakes. I wish we had taken, I wish we've taken more time to sit down with what we've done wrong rather than repeating them. But that's not the way society teaches us. And that demon has slipped into the church. God forgives yes, we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of them all. And he does. But that doesn't mean he didn't create those feelings of guilt and shame to rise in our lives, to help us in our reflection, to help teach us some lessons for taking steps forward. There must be balance. You don't have to wallow in your guilt and shame, but you need to acknowledge it and why it's there. What brought that about? Feel it, embrace it, process it, and then move forward. But don't skip over it. We're the generation of the skipping over that part. That's the reason why sometimes we don't even allow people to repent in the church. No one wants you to feel bad about anything of your past life, the way that you lived before God. No. Get through that. He's got great things for you. He does, but let's acknowledge who we were before we came to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's important. We'll, we, we'll look at Calvary differently. When I understand that he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin, and whenever I realize he wasn't there for his own things but for mine, it, if I take a moment and then consider who I was, and that i helped put him on the tree it might make me think twice about betraying the blood that he shed from the tree amen We don't need to skip over it but what are the servants doing diversion oh well let's get back to replacing vashti i know you're thinking about her and you have longing and regret oh the can't get over it let's go find a replacement for Vashti I mean we'll get an officer to all the one for each 127 provinces that you have you're the man look at that kingdom and we'll make get all the young listen to me we're laughing at it we do the same thing in our generation the verbiage is just different We'll recruit some young virgins, bring them to Shushan. Again, they were gathered from all these provinces. It doesn't say that they were willing or not. They were just brought. And when they were obtained, they were going to be placed under the hand of or Hegei. Verse number 8, same person, the king's chamberlain, keeper of the women. He's notably a eunuch, which means he's been castrated. He cannot find uh, sensual uh, pleasure with these ladies he's keeping. That's probably wisdom, but it was also common practice in their day that to be the case, the man that was over the women. And so he was going to be responsible for giving them items for their purification. And according to the decree, remember, of chapter 1 and verse 19, Vashti's place should be given to someone better than her. However, verse 4 of chapter number 2 says... That the maiden that pleases the king will take her place. So what they interpreted as better than she was one that pleases the king. And the Bible says what these boys said to him pleased the king. Here's poor Ahasuerus, God bless his blessed soul. And we see this all throughout the book of Esther, Ahasuerus, He's hard up for making a decision on his own. Mm-hmm. Those around him and there's nothing wrong with having counselors and all that but the old boy, it's like he don't even have a portion of the decision that's made that's his. It's always somebody else's. All he is is like everybody presents something, and it's like multiple choices. as I go see. It's like he don't have a mind to think with himself. They're all heavily involved in his real life, influence him. He's got his seven princes. He's got his seven chamberlains. He's got these servants and eunuchs and such. And so he, he acts according to their proposal of getting all these virgins, bringing them back to Shushan. He acts according to that. And remember, the last time he acted according to someone else's advice, that's what God bashed you out. Listen, he doesn't think for himself. Let's just pause for a moment. You need to think. There's nothing wrong with getting advice and getting somebody's take. But you need to think for yourself. You're not living your life. You're living somebody else's life. In chapter 1, the king called on his seven princes and he consulted them, what should I do with Vashti? What should be done with one that does not obey the king? And so he pays attention to their, their advice, and these advisors, whether it was good or bad, he paid attention to it. Number one, God, give us wisdom to be able to discern good advice from bad advice. Mm. He remembers Vashti with a longing thought, turns around. He was remembering, here he is, he's thinking about Vashti, and he turns right around, and he makes a decision that someone else offered him, just like he did when he made the bad decision with Vashti. He regrets, he regrets here in in verse number one, following the advice of somebody else and saying, yay. But he does it right around again. And this is the pattern of his life through this story because we're going to find out that it seems like the will of other people becomes the law of persia Mm-hmm. whenever haman comes to get rid of the jews that was haman's idea not the king's he says go do it yep sounds good huh this is constantly happening. Memucan—he's already done that with. Whenever Esther, Esther and Mordecai come and say, "Give us, let us put on the calendar another day where the Jews can defend themselves," like, "All right, yeah, yeah. I never thought of that before. <laughs> of course you didn't. You don't think for yourself." I'm just <sighs> help us, Lord. Esther two, verse five through seven. This is kind of. You call it the interruption but anyway the writer is introducing to us some other characters of the story of esther and yes they are very important now in shushan the palace there was a certain jew whose name was mordecai the son of jair the son of shimei shimei the son of kish a benjamite who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity, which had been carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And he brought up Hadassah, that is, Esther. How many times do you ever refer to Esther as Hadassah? We'll look at that here in a bit. His uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful. We'll talk about that next week whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. So no, he says that in Shushan, in the palace, is this Mordecai, and they're already in Shushan. Why? Because they never left and returned home, right? They're already there because they never returned home. Mordecai is a Jew, all right? And listen, when that's stated in verse number Four or, or verse number five, whenever that's stated, that's revealed to us as a reader, that he's a Jew. That's, 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 that is revealed to us as a reader, and not necessarily to the people that are around him. You hearing me? Until a little later in chapter three. He comes from the same family line as King Saul, the son of Kish. You take that little note right there that he comes from the same family line as King Saul. The son of Kish, you take that little note and you put it in your pocket and we'll pull it out later in the story. But that's important. He is a Benjamite. Important. Mordecai was the chief caretaker of Hadassah. Both of her parents died. How did they die, brother? I don't know. If you find out, tell me. Bible doesn't tell us. I don't know how they died, but they're dead. And he took it upon himself to raise and rear this, this girl Hadassah as his very own daughter. Hadassah, the Bible says, was Mordecai's uncle's daughter. Don't you love? I love people when they describe me family relations like that. Who is that? Oh, that's my my, my. that's my brother's daughter's uncle. You know what? Just say what it is. It's his cousin. (laughs) Mordecai's uncle's daughter is his cousin. Who's your uncle's daughter? Your cousin. I just hate when people go down this road. She's your cousin. Huh? That's right. It, it, it makes me deal with pain and I become angry. I Try not to deal with it. It's your cousin. Because <laughs> I think they're trying to insult my intelligence if I can't trace it and figure it out. <laughs> Hadassah. And it's interesting that the scripture here leads with that name. Hadassah was her Hebrew name. Hadassah was her Jewish name. And he led with that. And I think that's important because Esther is her Persian name. Mordecai raised her to be Hadassah. The Hebrew, the Jew. She was reared in the ways of Judaism. But she will follow the path in our story of a pagan woman, Esther, for a good portion of our story. I'm going back up here for a moment. Just follow me. I don't have a whole lot of time left, personally. Someone say yay. Parents, you can raise them one way, and they can turn out another person. You can try to rear a Hadassah and end up with Esther. But you can also raise them as one person, and your voice of influence can steer them to be another person. That's really what Mordecai did, because he's the one that said, don't reveal your identity. Look at it. Esther 2, this happens twice in this chapter number two in verse 10 and verse 20. Look at them both. Esther, verse 10 first, Esther 2:10, Esther had not shewed her people nor her kindred, for Mordecai had charged her that she should not shew it. Verse 20 reiterates it. Esther had not shewed her kindred nor her people as Mordecai had charged her for. Esther did the commandment of Mordecai like as when she was brought up with him. She was just being obedient. Now Esther, which she is commonly called in the book of Esther. You don't see very many times at all she's called Hadassah. She's called by her Persian name. She's in the Persian kingdom. But she's not trying to be different from the Persians either. She's remembered by her Persian name, which many believe is derived from Ishtar, which was a goddess, a goddess of love and a goddess of war, which coincidentally we find in Esther somewhat. She's going to spend one night with the king and secures her queenship spot, and she asks for another day for slaughtering. Amen. And so she's known by Esther perhaps more so because she subscribes to that style of life more so than being a true Jew, Hadassah. Everybody doing okay? I really don't have much longer. You're going to be so happy and thrilled. The short sermon I said, Sister Angie, for Sunday, it's coming on me. You have When the assigned name, when the assigned name if, you, if there's two names, if individual has two names, the assigned name is in the same language as the original name, then it reflects a new role or new purpose for the individual. Case in point, Abram, Abraham, both Hebrew. Sarai, Sarah, both Hebrew. Jacob, Israel, Yisrael, both Hebrew. Just a change, a new role or purpose. But when a new name is in a different language than a previous name, it indicates a desire to give the individual a new identity in order to forget their past. For instance, in the book of Daniel, and you have the three Hebrew boys, there were new names given to them when they became captives of Babylon. Their names were changed. They were given Babylonian names. Each, mind you, incorporating one of the gods of Babylon in their name. Let's consider their Hebrew names. Daniel, which name means God is my judge. Became a Babylonian captivity. They changed his name to Belshazzar, which means Baal, B-E-L, protect the king. Bel was a pagan god. Hananiah. One of the three Hebrew boys, his name meant, Hebrew name, Jehovah is gracious. When he becomes a Babylonian captive, Shadrach, command of a coup, which is another Babylonian god. Michel, Hebrew, one of the Hebrew boys, his Hebrew name, who is like God, his name means Meshach, who is what a coup is, Babylonian god azariah hebrew name jehovah is my helper Abednego, servant of nego or servant of nebo a god of vegetation his captive name why and that's what they called him listen this is what we do right because you don't you don't say don't you remember Hananiah, and i and michelle and azariah you don't you say shadrach meshach and Abednego, because that's what they were called in babylon that's what we remember them by. And that's what Babylon was hoping everybody would get. Remember them for where they were now compared to where they used to be. Wanted them to forget. For, because if anybody ever said Hananiah, they're saying Jehovah is gracious. If anytime someone said Michelle, amen, they're saying who is like God. We don't want that type of stuff being spoken, those type of memories coming up in Babylon. No, we want your names to be talking about our God, not your God. Someone say amen. So we have Hadassah, that she was brought up as, is derived from the Hebrew word hadas, which means a myrtle tree. A myrtle tree. You can stand with me, I'm closing. A myrtle tree. What's interesting about the myrtle tree is this. Such a tree is known for its leaves, which release their fragrance only when they are crushed. There is no fragrance from the leaf unless it's crushed. But if you crush it, there's fragrance. And that really reveals hadassah esther getting back to her roots when she finally decides if i go before the king and i perish i perish it's her getting back to her roots when she's willing to expose herself as being a true jew she don't care anymore what why what would bring this fragrance from her life now because her people is under some grave danger There's the crushing, and that brings forth the fragrance from the life of the true Hadassah rather than Esther. She is the only lady in the story, only character in the story in the book of Esther that has two names, only one, primarily this because she was a lady that was in a spot in the road where she was attempting to live two lives. past life and the life in which the culture that she dwelled in but when it's all said and done we want her to be the Hadassah the one she was brought up to be Whew. mercy 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 let's lift our hands tonight bow our heads father I need you Jesus oh search me O oh God Search me, O God. Help me, God, with my temperament. I pray, O God, just in everyday practical life, God, and things towards you as well. I pray, O God, today, help me, Jesus, to take time to contemplate and pause. Lord, mistakes and pains and failures, help me, Lord, to feel the guilt and the shame. Help me to process it and then help me to move forward. Help me, O God not to create diversions for myself or others to create diversions to try to move me past that point that could be a repetitive point if i don't process god what has been done or what has taken place i pray oh lord today God, help us, Jesus, to be what we've been called to be, what we've been reared to be. God, let that Lord have the preeminence in our life. Help us, God, not to accept any type of new label to try to get us to forget. Lord, our past, Lord Jesus, life of living for the Lord, or as unto the Lord. Help us, God, to be sowed out to you. I pray, oh Lord Jesus, in your name, and we'll glorify you, Lord, for what you do as we submit wholly unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray and the church say amen amen Amen. God bless you tonight in Jesus name amen thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter with the username FACMC again that's FACMC thank you and have a blessed day